My name's Josh. I'm one of the pastors here at Providence, and it is a, it's a delight to be a pastor here. Uh, I want to commend our worship team this morning. We often say that, yes, I think that's appropriate. That's appropriate. Because I know they didn't do it for applause, which is what Jesus is talking about in the series that we're in right now. But uh, we always say that our worship team, you're not worship leaders, you're lead worshipers. And so as you worship, you're just inviting us along to worship with you. And I just, I feel that every week, but I felt that this morning in a powerful way as I saw all of you up here leading us in worship, leading us, inviting us to participate in something really special and holy. I think you all deserve to be called out, but I especially want to note Jocelyn. I've just seen so much growth in you. I remember when you first got up on the stage and you were you sort of preferred to be sort of a background singer, and you didn't say much, and you were quiet and reserved, and now you're front and center leading a congregation, and it's just beautiful to see. So thank you. This morning, we have taken what we normally reserve as our time for what we call testimony of the word, which is where we get to hear from you, the congregation, what God is saying to you and how he's speaking to you in his word. We've taken that time and combined it into the service, and my hope this morning is to have more of an interactive service together, time together. It's not going to be a typical sermon. Uh, I actually had to get permission from the preaching team to make sure that this was good, and they gave me a thumbs up, so I'm not sure how it's going to go, but if you don't participate, it won't go well. Um, One of my favorite words in all of Scripture is the word behold. It's one of my favorite words. It shows up over a thousand times in the English Standard Version, and depending on which translation you use, it may show up slightly more or slightly less. But across many translations, translators have settled on that word, which is kind of an older word, and we don't use it a lot. We don't use, I did not use the word behold yesterday as I was speaking to people. We don't use it much. But in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, it's being used to translate both a Hebrew word and a Greek word that defy translation because English lacks the ability to translate what those words actually mean. You need a lot of words to translate both of those words because they carry the idea of just pausing. When you see behold in scripture, the intent of that author is for you to just pause, take a moment and consider the things that are about to be said. So one of my favorite examples of this is in uh, John, where, 1 John, where he says, Behold what manner of love the Father has given to us. You can spend a day beholding, just doing nothing but beholding the love that God has given to us that we should be called the children of God. It's amazing. So this morning, I want to invite us to behold the Lord's Prayer. Not just analyze it not just study it, not just memorize it, though memorizing it is good, but I want us together as a community to just spend time beholding the Lord's Prayer. This is the center of the center of the Sermon on the Mount. So this series that we're going through, The Jesus Way, we're just dealing with the center of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. And right at the center of that center is the Lord's Prayer. This is hugely important to Jesus, that his followers learn to pray this way. And as we often do as Christians, various branches of Christendom have actually turned this into just a repetitive thing, almost like a 
uh, a spell where you just recite the Our Father multiple times, as many times as somebody tells you to, and then that's good. And that's not what Jesus intended. In the context, he says, don't just use various repetitions when you're praying to your Father. Actually, go into your closet, close the door, and pray something like this. And then he gave us the Lord's Prayer. And the Lord's Prayer is meant to be scaffolding for your prayer life. He did not say, pray exactly and only this forever. He said, pray this way. This is the scaffold. Use this as you build out your prayer life. And if you look at John 17, Jesus, what's referred to as Jesus' high priestly prayer, this is where Jesus is praying the night before he's going to be crucified. No prayer has ever counted as much for a prayer as this prayer did. And Jesus prayed this structure. You can trace the structure of the Lord's prayer through his own high priestly prayer. Only in that one, he took a full chapter and he started out with our Father in heaven and moved into our needs. This is what we need. And even moved to forgiveness so that his followers could dwell with him and his Father one day. So this is the structure. And what we're going to do this morning, if you've heard interactive and like me, you panicked a little bit and thought, oh, great, he's going to break us up into groups and I'm going to have to talk to people I don't know. I hear you. I'm an introvert too, and I wouldn't do that to you. Other pastors would and have. I won't do that to you. I'm going to let you stay where you are. And I'm going to invite you into your own closet, as Jesus described it. And I'm going to invite you there to join with all of us as we work through together this prayer. Is that okay? So I'm going to invite you right now to move into whatever position is most comfortable for you in prayer. And I'm going to kneel. You can feel free to kneel. You can feel free to move. If you're somebody who wants to pray walking around and moving, I invite you to do that during this time. Whatever's comfortable for you, and we're just going to pray for the next 41 minutes. We're going to pray together as a congregation. I'm going to invite you, rather than preach a sermon on contemplative prayer, which is what the title of this sermon was supposed to be, uh, I'm just going to model it, and we're going to practice it together. Is that okay? Matthew chapter 6. And because I'm aware that we have many cultures in this room, and many cultures are offended by putting a Bible on the floor. I'm just going to lay it in front of me on my jacket. And we Americans aren't offended by this enough, I don't think. We have such a low view of what the Bible is that we'll just put it anywhere. Um, but I'm, I'm aware of some of the beauty of many of our cultures here. Matthew chapter 6, Jesus begins it with our Father. That's worth beholding our Father. I'm aware that in the room we have a spectrum. Some of you were raised by fathers who were cruel or indifferent, which is also cruel, and didn't have much to do with you in your life. Some of you were abused by your father. But then some of you had great fathers. In talking with some of you, you wouldn't change anything about the dad that you have. He was great. Later on in Matthew chapter 7, Jesus is going to talk about fathers. And in just this sermon, 
Jesus uses the word Father to refer to God 17 times. 17 times. He wants this to sink in for us, that God is our Father. He's not just a distant deity, which we're going to be tempted to believe when we move on in the prayer and we hear who is in heaven, but he's a Father first and foremost to us. And in Matthew 7, he's continuing in his sermon, and he gives the example of if your own children came to you and needed something, you would be delighted to give it to them. And if you, being evil fathers, want to give good things to your children, how much more does your Father in heaven, who's perfect, give good things to those who ask? He's going to say, your Father delights to give you things before you even ask for them. So no matter where your own fatherhood experience was on that spectrum, whether he was the worst or the best, for most of us, he's somewhere in the middle, right? And for most of us dads in the room, we can place ourselves somewhere in the middle, and oftentimes it's pretty low on that spectrum. But regardless of where your experience is on that spectrum, your father in heaven is perfect. And you have to know that before praying this prayer. Because if you don't know that, you won't really be praying this prayer in the way that Jesus is inviting us to pray it. So you have to know your Father in heaven is perfect and delights to give good things to his children many times before they even ask for them. This is who we're speaking to together. So our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. He's in heaven He's apart from us in that sense. He's so far above us and so far beyond our ability to comprehend who he is. He existed before all things and he will exist long after all things pass away. He's eternal. He's holy, meaning he has never sinned. All the days in his life, he has never sinned. I sinned daily. As he relates to us as his children, he doesn't sin. He's perfect. And everything he does is good and perfect and righteous and just. This is who he is. And he's in heaven. And we're sinful, which is the reason we can't join him there right now. Heaven is just this beautiful place that is perfect and holy. And that's where he exists and to exist there, we need to be let in the gate. <laughs> Hallowed be your name. Holy be your name. Why do we pray this way? Well, because we're so aware, aren't we? We're so aware that his name is not hallowed in the world today. And this is a request from our hearts. Lord, let your name be hallowed. His name is mocked. His name is treated with scorn. People don't think highly of God, do they? If they think that he exists, they don't think highly. In fact, he often resembles our own selves when you hear us talk about him. He sounds a lot like us, not far and away above us. He's casual. We treat him casually. But Jesus says one of the first things we should ask for is that the name of our Father in our culture today and in our homes and in our churches would be hallowed. Amen. 
revered, set apart. There is no name like this name. We sang about it this morning. His name is above all names. Hallowed, Father, hallowed be your good name. So at this time, what I'm going to invite you to do, I was going to have you move to microphones, and I think that would just take too long. It's quiet enough in here. I'm just going to have you stand and just pray to your Father in heaven and hallow his name. Lift up his name in reverence. Brief prayers. Just stand and pray. I'm going to keep moving. We could spend an hour just in this first verse, couldn't we? Spend an hour or two here beholding who this God is. And I'm glad that somebody over here keyed in on the word hour because this is right after Jesus tells us to go into our closets and close the door where nobody can see us. But then what we're praying there is a reference to our community. Meaning the assumption is all of Jesus' followers are all around the world praying this prayer together with one voice. We're lifting up the name of our Father in heaven. This prayer is divided in two, and it follows actually the format of the Decalogue, the Ten Commandments, where the Ten Commandments start with commandments about how we treat God and how we're not to have any other gods before him, and then how we treat our neighbor. We don't steal from them. We don't covet the things that they have. And it also mirrors, Jesus used this format when he talked about the two great commandments, right? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself, And this prayer fits those two categories. So he starts with our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is not just lip service. This is not just something we pray because it's the right thing to pray. This is the earnest desires of our hearts. Every good thing that we desire in our community comes in the name of our Father in heaven, who is the king. And it's the outworking of his kingdom that brings that good thing to a community. And so we want this. And why do we need to pray it? The same same reason we need to pray that his name would be hallowed, because it's not happening everywhere, is it? We look around our world, we look around our city, and we see evidence that the kingdom of God has not come in all of its fullness because not everything is good, right, and perfect, and just. And we want it to be that way, don't we? We want it. There's no greater desire in all of our hearts that our good father, the king, would come and make his kingdom known and felt everywhere. As the waters cover the sea, that's what we want. And that's what we're praying for here. And so now what I would like to invite you to do is just stand and pray for the areas in our community and in our world where this is lacking, where we haven't brought the kingdom in its fullness yet. And we see grief and sorrow and need. And this is all over the world. This is all over our neighborhood. And this is in our homes. There's brokenness in our homes. So we'll take a few moments together and just pray that God's kingdom would come in specific areas of brokenness. Mm, we're going to keep moving, but I could stay here a while with you. We could stay here a while, can we? So much brokenness, so much pain. And Jesus says, we want his kingdom to come. It's so good when the kingdom of God shows up in all of these places. In this frame of mind, then, 
as we've spent time considering the holiness of our Father in heaven and the goodness and nearness of him. He's not just a distant deity. He's a Father who's near. He's near us. We consider this, and we consider his effective working in our world today. Just think about how far the church has come from this day when it was just a band of followers following Jesus. And then you see the book of Acts and it starts spreading through Rome and Turkey and Asia. And then it goes around the world. And even now, now it's spreading around the world. Think about how far this kingdom has advanced. It's a great thing. So now, Jesus would say, our minds and our hearts are in the right place to ask for the things that we need. And we should ask for those things without holding back. If you were a kid in a household with a good dad and you needed something, you would ask for it. Believe me, my kids don't hesitate to ask for things, things that they don't even need. And many of the things that they don't need, I'd delight to give them. You wouldn't hesitate, would you? If your dad was good, you wouldn't hesitate if you needed a glass of water or you needed something to eat. You wouldn't be like, uh, I, I got to go clean my room. I should pick up the yard. I got to do a bunch of things before I ask if I can get a drink. You wouldn't do that, right? You'd say, Dad, I need a drink. And so Jesus says, now this is the place where we come with our needs. Oftentimes, I just skip right to this place. I spend no time coming here, and I just told you that you shouldn't spend a lot of time, but you should at least follow this method, this model, and consider who your father is, because it's in the consideration of who he is that you'll have boldness and confidence to ask him for what you need, right? I don't know about you, but I have needs. Does anybody have needs? Jesus says daily bread, or yeah, our daily bread here. But earlier in Matthew, when he's facing temptation, he says, man shall not live by bread alone. So he can't only mean bread here. So Jesus is not saying you just get to ask for your bare essential needs, the things to end your hunger. That's it. You can ask for food, nothing else. That's not what he's saying. He's saying everything that you need, ask for it. This is a category. Not a limitation. So if you need it, ask for it. So we have needs in our congregation, I'm going to assume, and I'm going to invite us to take a few minutes and just stand and pray for those needs together. Okay? We're going to move into the next section. My hope is that no matter, I know we, uh, we have a lot of first-time guests here this morning. <laughs> you might be like, what is this? <laughs> Uh, but we also have a wide variety of people who are on a journey with God. Uh, some in the room may not know God and want nothing to do with God or Christianity. And maybe it's more Christianity than God because of the way you've seen the church acting. Some of you are brand new believers and you're still learning how to pray and how to read scripture. And some of you have been believers for longer than I've been alive. So my hope is that in doing this together, you see a way of praying, no matter where you're at on that journey, that you say, I can do that. You don't need a seminary degree to pray. I don't have one. You don't need a seminary <laughs> degree to do this. You don't. You just open your Bible and start reading through a passage of Scripture. And if you want a really easy place, an easier place to start, Psalms 
Is it generally an easier place to start? And don't get hung up if some of the things that you're reading are confusing. Just read until you find something that resonates with your soul. And then just stop and behold that thing for a little while. We did this on Thursday morning as a basement group, uh, our community group leaders and some of our pastors were in the room and we were praying through Psalm 19. And I've read Psalm 19 a lot of times in my life. Um, but because of the time that we took just slowly thinking about it and praying it back to God, I saw things in Psalm 19. I got a glimpse of who God is that I hadn't seen before. So no matter where you're at in your journey, you can pray this way. And Jesus would say, this is the way to pray. It's as easy as this. Now we're going to move into forgiveness. Forgive us our debts. Let's just stop there. This is from a, an honor-shame culture, where when you wrong somebody, it is seen as a debt that you now owe that person. This is kind of foreign to us in our individualized way of thinking. We think of our sins as very, very personal and hidden. And as long as nobody sees us, we're good. And maybe we need to confess those things to God, but that's about it. But in this culture, and in many cultures around the world, sin is a debt that you are carrying. And actually, it shouldn't be too hard for us as Westerners to get our minds around that. We have a debt because we are in love in this country with debt right? And because of that, we know what it feels like to be crushed by debt and to be enslaved to debt, don't we? We know that feeling. And so Jesus is assuming here that we all have debts. We've all sinned against each other. I've sinned against you. We've all sinned against God. And Jesus is saying now in this prayer, as many times as you want to pray this, just ask your Father in heaven, to forgive you of those debts. Do you know how nice it would be if I could go into my mortgage bank and say, hey, I just want to ask you from the bottom of my heart to forgive this mortgage debt that I owe. They wouldn't do it, but it sure would feel great, wouldn't it? It'd feel great. Jesus is saying, anytime you come to your father, he's not a banker, he's a father. You come to him and say, Forgive, forgive me, and he will do it. Amen. He will do it. First John 1 9, when we sin, as long as we confess our sins every single time, he's faithful and he's just to forgive us of those sins. It doesn't say he's nice to forgive us of those sins, as though this is a favor he's doing for us. He's saying he's just. Why is, it, why is he just? In other words, if we went to him and confessed our sins, it would be unjust for our Heavenly Father not to forgive us. Why does he say that? Because Jesus paid your debt. He paid it. It's been paid. You don't pay it twice. It's already been paid in full. So every time you come to him, you will be forgiven no matter what you've done. I don't know what you carried into this room this morning, but if you're like me, you've carried plenty I don't know what you carry from a long life of debt. But in this moment, right here, you can be forgiven of all of it. All of it. It can be wiped away. That's how sufficient Jesus is for you. And he invites you, just like he says, ask your dad if you're hungry. Just like he says, bring your needs to him. 
He invites you to pray this prayer. Forgive us our debts. This is not financial, this is sin. This is what he's talking about. And we have them. And just like he says, you have a heavenly father who delights to give you good things, to meet your needs before you even ask, you have a father in heaven who delights to forgive you before you even ask. In the story of Daniel, as Daniel is writing his prophecies, there's this moment where he prays this prayer to God. And some time passes, and then an angel shows up. Wouldn't that be awesome if when you prayed, an angel showed up to tell you that your prayer was heard? And the angel says, the moment, Daniel, the moment you started praying, I was sent to you because you are greatly loved. So in this moment and in this space, when we ask this father to forgive us of our sins, it's not cringing. He's not standing there with an extension cord to whip you for your sins. He's not going to put you in a kennel for your sins. He's not an abusive ogre of a father who's out to get you because you slipped up. He's the best father. And he's waiting to forgive you of that load. He doesn't want you. He grieves because you're carrying that load of guilt. So just open up. So for the next couple of minutes, I'm just going to let it be silent. Because I'm aware that it's not comfortable to stand up in a room full of people and declare your sins. Though sometimes we've seen that be very healing. Where people have said, I've been addicted for years and I want to be free. And we pray for that person. So if you want to, There's no better place to do it than right here. You've got a hundred brothers and sisters praying for forgiveness for you. So do it. Stand and say, I just need to be forgiven. But apart from that, we'll be silent and we'll be quiet and you can have space here to just go to your father and ask him to forgive you. Paul says, I think that it's in Corinthians that it's spaces like this where we see the spirit move like this, where people will walk in and say, there's something different about this, people. Specifically, he talks about just the confessing of sins, just that. Because everybody outside can identify with sin. They they assume it. They assume we're Christians, and so we have a lot of sin. (laughs) They assume it. They just assume we hide it better than they do. And so when people walk in and see, no, they're no different or better than me. That's a good thing because we have a good father. Jesus moves on and says, as we forgive our debtors. And in this moment, I think it's, is it Emmanuel that's preaching next week? Who's preaching next week? Hunter. Oh, Emmanuel, I'm right. All right. Emmanuel gets this challenging text in verse 14 after this prayer about how our father forgives us to the degree that we forgive others. But it's right here in Jesus's prayer. Forgive us our debts as we forgive those who have debts, as we forgive our debtors. The assumption is we are forgiving those who are carrying debt. And again, this is not financial. This is people who have wronged us. Why does that assumption exist in Jesus' mind and in his heart? Well, he tells a parable about a servant who is forgiven a billion-dollar debt. He can't pay it. He's about to go into prison, and he can't pay it. And the person he owes it to forgives it, wipes it clean. And that servant goes out and holds a $10 debt against somebody else and throws them in prison for it. And Jesus says it's because the first servant had no idea what he'd been forgiven of. 
So if you have this sense that you were pretty good and then God forgave you what you needed, that's how you're going to forgive others. Uh, I've got a little bit of forgiveness to give out. And you're going to be sparing with that forgiveness. You're going to give it out very carefully and cautiously, and you're going to hold on to a lot of things. But if you know that you've been forgiven of a great and crushing debt, and it's just been wiped clean for you, you're going to go out to your brothers and sisters who have sinned against you and said, I have been forgiven, and I can't hold this against you. I forgive you. Jesus is saying his forgiven followers will forgive others. It's how you know if the gospel has gone down deep and taken root in your heart. So this morning, I encourage you as you go out from here, let that sink in. We don't have time to spend a lot of time going through and thinking, but in a, in a simple program like Alcoholics Anonymous, they make you spend weeks going through all of the people that you've wronged and going to them individually and making amends. How much more should we as a church have an expectation that as we are forgiven by our Father, we are also forgiving everybody that we're holding sin against? Jesus assumes that's what happens. And Emmanuel gets to tell you all about that next week. I don't want to preach his sermon. We're going to move on to this last section and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Jesus is leaning into our Father's identity as a shepherd here. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Why shall I not want? Because I just asked him for everything that I needed. He's a shepherd. And he makes me lie down in green pastures, and he leads me beside still waters, and he restores my soul. And Jesus is saying, ask your shepherd in heaven to lead you out of temptation. Again, in the New Testament, Paul is going to say, when we're tempted, none of you is, is facing any temptation that's any different than the rest of us face. We all are tempted to sin, but when you're tempted, God is faithful in that moment and will provide a way for you to escape that temptation if you will simply lean into him and let him lead you out of it. The problem is, I often don't lean into him. Even in the moment of my sin, I think, I know there's a way out. I know I can lean into my faithful shepherd and he'll lead me out. But the sin in the moment feels good. And so I go after it. Jesus is saying part of our prayer is, Father, today, as I'm beset by temptation and I'm surrounded by an enemy who wants to destroy me, lead me out of temptation. Lead me out of temptation and deliver me from evil. So I'm going to ask us to just pray that right now as a congregation that God would deliver us all our brothers, our sisters, all of us, deliver us from temptation and preserve us from our enemy who prowls around, Peter says, like a roaring lion seeking people to devour. Okay? God, addiction is a horrible taskmaster, slave master. And there are spirits behind addiction who are keeping your children in chains and I have no doubt that some of my brothers or sisters walked in this morning in those chains of addiction. And even now, they're feeling the pull of addiction, even in this moment. God, I pray you break those chains. I pray you deliver them from the evil one, from their evil master, and let them be free of addiction. Father, it's fitting that we would ask you to deliver us from evil after you've already forgiven us for evil. For the times that we haven't, taken your way out and we've given in to temptation. You've already forgiven us of that. 
And now we just ask you to help us. We don't want to live that way. None of us wants to live in sin. It's suckered into it. So I just pray you deliver us from evil, Father. Depending on your translation of the Bible, you may have a little statement after this Lord's Prayer that says, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. As best as we can tell, that little statement wasn't in this prayer that Jesus gave. He didn't conclude it this way. And the way we know that is the earliest manuscripts that were handed around to people and copied, and this is what the church used to read together and worship together. In those manuscripts, that statement is omitted. It doesn't show up until much later. And our best guess is that a scribe somewhere along the way was working his way through, writing this out, copying this gospel of Matthew, and he just beheld for a moment this prayer and it overwhelmed him. He didn't, he stopped copying for just a moment and let it sink in and captivate his heart. And then in the margin somewhere he wrote, of course I would pray this way because yours is the kingdom and yours is the power. Of course you're going to deliver me from the evil one and yours is the glory because I'm praying in the way that you told me to. I'm not praying out on the streets with vain repetitions that Jesus is talking about just so everybody can see me as spiritual and religious. I'm praying the way you did and all of the glory is yours. Of course it's yours. So I'm gonna ask us to stand now and while the benediction may not be inspired or that statement might not be inspired, I'm just gonna ask you to move to Mike's. As Keith comes, he's gonna... Unless we canceled it. Did we already cancel it? Okay, we already canceled it. Then the way we're going to be dismissed, we're four minutes over, the way we're going to be dismissed is just move to a microphone and just declare that the kingdom is God's and the power is God's and the glory is God's. And you can do that with a prayer. You can do that with a verse. I'm going to allow just a few more moments for us to close out that way. And that will be the benediction. I'm going to invite the prayer team to come forward in case at some point during this service, the Holy Spirit met you in a place and you want to pray with somebody about that place. Our prayer team will be up front to do that afterwards. So let's take a few moments and declare that the kingdom and the power and the glory is our good fathers in heaven. I could go another half hour with you, but we have, I could go hours, but we have workers out there watching all of our children. So I'm going to dismiss you. But I'm just going to dismiss you with these words. This is what Jesus said. Pray then like this. We've built a scaffolding together this morning for our prayer lives. As a family, we have done this together. And now you have it in place and you can go out. May you go out this week and pray like this. You are dismissed. The prayer team will remain for a while if you'd like to pray.